Well, Merry Christmas to you all. Glad that you, uh, that you came to, to be with us. And uh, I mean, you all look good. Some of y'all come decked out in your Christmas best. We should say like it's Christmas Eve service every week. Not, not that you don't look good in your jeans and shorts and all that kinds of stuff. You just you all just look awesome when you uh, when you dress up. Uh, say, check it out. If, if you haven't gotten your gifts yet, you're hurting. Uh, so my wife encourages me, I, I mean, I brag about this all the time, that I love to go out in the crowds and not buy anything, but just watch people. And so my wife was trying to get me to go out today. I didn't really do it, but I did venture into Wegmans, like, no joke, like, it was all the way live. Like, my wife went at 8, I went again, I think, at 11 or so, and there was more people in there than Thanksgiving Eve. It was a lot of people, and I don't know what they were doing, but they were all just like, we were all in there together, just doing our thing. And then I went to Walmart this afternoon because I, I needed a candle. <laughs> and that was even worse. So check it out. If you're one of those ones that you got one more gift to get, I think Walmart's going to still be open when we finish. I think Target might be open. And you might even want to venture over to the mall and like, catch one of those stores staying over to 8 or 9. Because you know, on Christmas Eve, it's like, I mean, you're, you're, you're all on your own. It's like every man or woman for themselves. And so uh, if you are one of those that has to go get a gift, I say get her done and, uh, and we'll be praying for you. <laughs> Speaking of gifts, have you ever noticed how hard it is to just find the perfect gift, uh, you know, that, that has a little thought put into it uh, for that one that you love or the one that you're trying to, to just bless over Christmas and also stay within budget? I think of... Uh, kids at Christmas. I don't know how your kids are, but every family usually has one kid that like every two hours they're going by the tree and they're actually like leaning over counting the gifts. My family has one of those. <laughs> counting the gifts. And here's, here's the thing. Kids are like low communists sometimes. They want, they want to make sure that like every spot, everybody's got the same amount of gifts, at least among their siblings. Like same amount, same size, dimensions, my gift, your gift can't be like heavier than mine or else like there's not inequity going on and something needs to, needs to happen. And uh, as you're getting gifts for like special people, loved ones, spouses, you know, you hear this a lot. I actually do this, but I don't really mean it. Uh, you get that one person that says, oh, sweetie, you don't have to get me a gift. Y'all ever heard somebody say that? All right, they lying. <laughs> especially at Christmas, and I know because I do this. When a person says, you don't have to get me a gift, really, they're only, I mean, that's, that's like American slang for, I'm just saying that because I know, regardless of what I tell you, you're going to get me a gift. So get me a gift, and I'm just going to pretend like I don't want you to make it, like, elaborate. But the truth is, regardless of how, I mean, in fact, the, the more a person insists that they don't want you to get your gift, that's how much more extravagant it needs to be. So if you're sitting out there and your spouse, your significant other, your best, your, like one of those people just like, hey, sweet, don't worry about it. Don't get me a gift. You need to go scramble. And that thing, <laughs> that thing needs to be good. It's just complicated, right? We want to be generous during this time. Uh, we want to bless the people in our lives. But the reality is it's hard to purchase with money a, uh, a significant gift that, um, that will make a difference in someone's life. I think that's the truth uh, of all that. And what I think it all boils down to is we all yearn for something more than the stuff of this, this life can produce. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. 
Y'all know that? That's why we celebrate Christmas. The Bible speaks of Christmas in terms of God giving us a gift. He gives us the gift of his son, his only son. It's not a gift that we could ever earn or pay for. It's not a gift that someone or anyone else could have given us. It's a gift that not even Santa Claus can give. John 3.16 has it right. It says, God so loved the world. And when the scripture writer says God loved the world, he's not talking about the trees or the dirt or the grass. He's talking about the pinnacle of God's creation. He's talking about me and you. Uh, And so we could really insert that God so loved you, you individually, you the person, you whatever your name is, that he gave you his only son, Jesus, that anyone that will receive this God-given gift of Jesus would have a salvation that you can't buy or earn and an opportunity to be reconciled and have eternal life with God. That's what Christmas is all about. And in a sense, when God does that, what he does is he makes everything in your life that's wrong about you and your circumstance, he makes that right. Say it another way, he, he, he heals you. He heals you of all the sickness and pain and hardship and sorrow in the world that we live in and that we get to experience eternity with God in heaven. And so we celebrate that gift during the Christmas season. And Luke tells us this in the passage that uh, Zarnez read earlier, beginning at uh, Luke 2, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, her being Mary. And she gave birth to their firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the, in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so we like to say this is the first Christmas. And on that first Christmas, everything changed. In fact, history is divided by the birth of Jesus. We have everything that happened in the history of mankind before Jesus was born. And then we have the life that everyone has lived, to include all of us in this room, that uh, ever since. And because we live really on the other side of Christmas, in other words, the only reality we know is a world that has Jesus having come as a savior of the world in it. Because we live in that kind of a world, you know, we actually don't actually think about what the world that we live in would be like without the knowledge or the thought of Jesus. What, I mean, have you ever given that a thought? What if Jesus hadn't been born? What if the story of Luke 2 and Joseph and Mary and all that had not happened, if God had not given us the gift of his son, Jesus? So I want to think about that just for a couple minutes. How would the world be different if Jesus had not been born? There's a, an area of, of study, of history called alternative history. You've heard of this. There's TV shows made about this kinds of stuff. Um, it's a fictional uh, field, if, if that. Uh, it's made up of a lot of speculation. But there are historians that like to uh, presuppose the history of what life would be like if certain historic, you know, well-known things didn't happen. Like, for example, what if John Wilkes Booth, who shot Abraham Lincoln, did not actually shoot him or missed? And how would our lives be different as a country? What if Napoleon had escaped to America following his defeat at Waterloo? I mean, that would have been something, wouldn't it? And so by imagining what the world would be like now if something had not happened, it shows you the impact of that moment. It shows you the significance of that thing that actually happened, things that a lot of times we take for granted. And so we can do that with the birth 
of Jesus. Uh, when we think about Jesus and his birth at Christmas, the Bible gives us a metaphor, metaphor of dark versus light. Jesus coming into the world and that light dissipating the darkness. And so it's a metaphor of light and darkness. And really, this, this metaphor is the reason why you hang Christmas lights on your house, if you hang any or hang them on your church. In fact, y'all know I'm if you've been here for a couple years, you know I'm a Nazi when it comes to lights, right? I just hung some more lights last night. <laughs> I, I'm in competition with my, I'm in a new house, new neighborhood, and I had, to, I had to up my game. We had neighbors in the back, we live in a townhouse, and they had some nice lights draped. Actually, I'm lying. My, my, my wife made me put more lights up, yeah. <laughs> it's her fault this year. But it's the reason why we hang lights up in our back. This comes from medieval times when there was no electricity. The Christians um, wanted to create a way that they could openly profess um, belief in Jesus as the light of the world. So they would take a candle and put it in the most prominent spot, which in most houses was a window, to, to declare to everyone that Jesus was the light of the world that had come in to dispel the darkness. And that's what John introduces us to uh, as the light that brings life to all men. And so if you're familiar with your Gospels, all the Gospel writers have a different take on the coming of Jesus. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so he's, he starts with the genealogy. Mark is trying to remind people that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's come to bring a kingdom. And so his uh, rendition of Jesus starts by quoting Isaiah, who prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born that, hey, this guy is coming into the world. Luke is a doctor historian, and so he gives us a lot of the historical events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And then we got John. John's like, the, the, the other three gospel writers are right here. John's like way over here. John does his own thing, and here's why. John um, lived later than most of the other gospel writers. John was the last of the New Testament writers to record anything about the life of Jesus. And by the time he wrote, the world that he lived in was dark. Christians were being persecuted and oppressed. They had been scattered throughout the diaspora. And because of that, Christianity was spreading rapidly, but the world that they were living in was very dark. And so we, we get these words in John chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And I can only think that John, as he's thinking about his life and the life that he's lived and known with Jesus, he's writing these words down, and he gets to this point talking about Jesus being the light of men. And I think he pauses. He's aware of the darkness that surrounds his era. He's aware of the, the difficulties that people in his time of life have lived. And then he, he just finishes his thought. The darkness has not overcome it. He's thinking about Jesus, the Jesus that he knows, that he's walked with. And here's what he says. It's a darkness that can, um, it's a light that can extinguish the darkness. The light has come to the dark. The light can't be put out. The light of Jesus cannot be put out. That's what John is trying to remind us of. And it's good to be reminded of that. So real quick, what are some of the ways that Jesus is a light? What are some of the ways that we know that Jesus is a light? The first way, the, the way children are treated. 
In ancient societies, children were not valued the way we value them now. Even in Jesus' day, remember the disciples didn't like the children coming up to Jesus. And Jesus taught that children were valuable. In the ancient world, there's a ratio of like 1.5 million to 1 point, uh, boys to 1, point, to 1 million girls. And what uh, the people of that day, mostly the Romans, the Greeks would do, was they'd take the little girls, they'd take them to the woods, and just leave them ab- abandoned. And Christians, in turn, would go to these woods and they would find these babies and they would take them into their homes, so much so that some of the first orphanages in the world are because of Christian efforts. Uh, another way that Jesus is a light to the world is caring for the poor. This is, a, I think, a value for Jesus. If you look historically, we see that much of what's been done worldwide to alleviate poverty is initiated by followers of Jesus. Listen to these organizations. Third World Orphanages, Inner City Missions, like Central Union Mission here in D.C. They're one of our ministry partners for our church. Food Kitchen, Salvation Army, YMCA, uh, Compassion International, Food for the Hungry, Red Cross. Those are just a few. Those are all inspired by the birth of Jesus. Another way Jesus is a light is in, in our world is caring for the sick. That's another core value of Jesus. And Jesus' ministry, of course, he, did, he spent a lot of time caring for the spiritual needs of people. He would come and teach and preach, caring for like the heart of, uh, of the broken people that he engaged. But he didn't shy away from like caring for and um, extending his physical arm to touch the people that needed his touch. He cared for people. And in fact, um, if you, I, I heard this on TV the other day. It was already in my sermon. I'm not stealing it. All right. So if you, look, if you think about the hospitals in our land, um, a lot of them have names that have uh, faith-based roots. Why is that? Because uh, at the Council of Nicaea, where they hashed out the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, another thing that happened because of uh, the the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD is that they made a decree that any time a church was started, they would erect a hospital very near it. So the two would minister to the people at the same time. Uh, and of course, uh, faith-based groups provide 80% of the relief that goes toward uh, natural disasters, and we've had a lot of them this year. And so think about that. If Jesus had not come into the world, it would be right to say some of this wouldn't be the emphasis in our world today, definitely in our country. Here's another huge assumption. It's fair to make the argument that the United States of America would not exist had not Jesus been born. You don't have to agree with me. I mean, I got like facts here on my piece, piece of paper. Um, here's what historians say. They say, surely the, um, the, the new world would have people living on it. But, but historians also echo it would probably look more like 20th century China if it weren't for Christian roots and the birth of Jesus. I mean, how did people in the 1600s get to the new world? They came because of religious persecution in Europe, right? And mostly in Britain. Our second president, John Quincy Adams, says the birth of our nation is indissolubly linked to the birth of our Savior. And of course, I could go on and on. I could mention how Jesus elevated the status of women. I could mention how in areas where Christianity has spread, slavery has diminished. I could talk about the promotion of education and literacy, how Jesus has inspired the greatest works of art and some of the greatest music compositions. And of course, if you're listening to this list, you're thinking, well, Jeff, I mean, yeah, there's some, some progress done, but there's a lot that needs to be done in all those areas in all the world. And I would agree with you, but think about what would have happened, what the world would be like if Jesus had not come. We would be in the Stone Age in regards to many of those important areas in our day. But here's what's also true, and I have to be honest about that. We still live in a dark world, don't we? 
The light of Jesus shines and it penetrates the darkness, but we still live in a dark world. We have dark and it's in us even. Ultimately, this world and the lives that we live will disappoint us. And perhaps you're here today, if you're listening to me, and you don't doubt the the historicity of Jesus and the things that the teaching of Jesus have done to make our world better. But you might say, you know what? I don't doubt Jesus, Jeff, but I, I, I doubt that. I mean, my, re- my reality is that Jesus has not made a difference for me in my life. We're singing joy to the world, hark the herald angels sing. That's okay. Maybe for someone else, the story of Jesus being a light for them, a gift of God to them, that's been avail- made available to them. But that's not my story, and that's not what's happening for me. This story of Christmas just seems like something too good to be true. It's like you get a phone call on your cell phone. You don't recognize the number, but you decide to answer it anyway. You pick it up and say, hello, it's Jeff. And all of a sudden, Robert Jones comes on. Jeff, this is Robert Jones from Reader's Digest. I just want you to know that you've won our $5 million sweepstakes. <sighs> right? I mean, what do you do in that moment? Hang up. Like, click. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I've never won any, I can't say I've never won anything. Larissa and I were on our honeymoon, and we played bingo and won $50. That was 23 years ago. I haven't won anything since. Somebody calling me up unsolicited saying I've won $5 million ain't going to happen. In fact, somebody showed up at my, at my door with a check. I wouldn't believe it. You put the money in my bank, and I'm psyched, like logging on USAA, seeing it. I might believe it. Only if I can, like, take some of it out and spend something, right? I mean, it's, it's not going to happen. Some news seems too good to be true. And here's the thing. It usually is. Some, the, the things that seem to be too good to be true are usually not true. You guys remember last week when I talked about my car? So I really did buy a car on eBay. I traveled four states by bus to get there. I got there, and this beautiful car that I saw on the internet, it wasn't a model car, it was a real car, right? Okay, but here's here's the deal. The tires were flat, the paint job, it looked, I mean, just like beautiful. On On the website was lackluster. It had a dual, it was a dual muffler sob, and it had muffler issues, other engine issues, and so I, I barely get the car home, and then I paid $1,500 more just to get the car up to the point of me, me being able to drive it. And I mean, that's how life ends up for us sometimes, isn't it? The things that are too good to be true, that sound too good to be true, often end up being too good to be true. They end up being not true. And whether to protect ourselves from disappointment or because it happens so rarely, here's, the, here's our effect. We are prone to disbelieve really good news. Good news comes along and we just dismiss it. I think there's some of us that come into Christmas with this attitude that it's just too good to be true. We have, the, we have an idea of God that, hey, I know I, maybe, I, maybe God does exist Maybe he does some good things for some people, but the God that I know, if he's even a father, he's not loving and generous. Instead, he's angry and vindictive because that's how my life has, has sort of transpired. But here's what I think the message that we need to all hear on Christmas. It goes back to what I said 10 minutes ago, John 3.16. And I want you to hear this for yourself, that God so loved not just the world, God so loved you, whatever your name is, that he gave 
you his son, his only son. So Jesus isn't just the gift of light brought into our world in a broad way. Here's what the Bible says. He's a light in a very specific, very personal way for each of us. I want to tell you some stories about our church. I want to tell you stories of infertility, of marriage issues, of personal sins and addictions that seemingly can't be overcome. I want to tell you some stories about sudden death of a loved one by cancer and the overwhelming grief that ensues. I want to tell you a story about financial problems leading to despair. I want to tell you a, pro a story about depression among youth leading to eating disorders and cutting. I want to tell you some stories about personal predicaments of people in our church. But I also want to tell you about the gift of light that Jesus has been in each one of those cases. Now, I can't, I can't tell you all those stories because those stories were individual people with names and lives, and I need to protect the innocent because my pastor. But let me tell you what's true for all of those people. And those are real people, real stories that I've gotten to interact with people in our church, transit church. Jesus comes and takes something that was really messed up, and he redeems it. That's the truth about all those stories. He takes something that was bad and he makes good use of it. He finds those of us that are in bondage of slavery and sets us free. Jesus takes something that was broken. He turns it into something beautiful. He takes those of us who were in despair because life hasn't gone the way we wanted it to, the way we thought it would, and he gives us new beginnings, new perspectives. Oftentimes he does a miracle and he gives us new life. And he's done that right here in Transit Church. And I know he can do that for you, for every one of us that's here. And here's the truth. I would be wrong to say that you receive Jesus. All right, God, give me a gift, and you get him, and that your immediate circumstance is going to change. That's often not the way that God works in our lives. But here's what I can guarantee. When you turn to Jesus, he can give you the strength you need for the journey, and he might even give you a little bit of joy. And that's why we sing songs like that. I think that's the power of Christmas. That's, that's true history. See, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, has an impact on our society. But I think more importantly, it is supposed to have an impact on all of our personal lives. It has the power, if we allow it, to change us. Amen.